We're in Luke chapter 12. We've been there last week. We're going to be there again next week. We're doing three weeks on Luke chapter 12. This is the, actually the prescribed lectionary text. Even though we don't often stay with the lectionary, we are because there's a series in here that we found um, as we were just kind of reading through it. Um, as we think about where we've been, we, we have just, we've spent a whole summer kind of really diving into some convicting text. If you haven't been with us some, um, you can see what you've been, you've been missing because the music is just on point um, and the sermons have been just okay. But the, the scripture has been intense. James held back no punches. Luke doesn't either. So for like six, seven weeks in a row now, we just I'm kind of almost ready for a little levity, right? I'm almost ready, for, but, but it's not coming today, all right? Because here's Luke chapter 12. This is, I mean, this is, all right, here we go. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I'm starting in verse 22, sorry. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the fields, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or what you will drink. And do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things. And your father knows what you need. But seek first his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We're going to end the reading there. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. And together we say, thanks be to God. There's an energy in the room this morning as they're not. The presence of the Holy Spirit is palpable in this place. If you have not been with us, you can check out our podcast. If you want to hear any of the previous sermons, our live streams, if you want to watch. But we have been in a series now called Investment Strategy. And as I talked about last week, I am least qualified person to talk about investment strategies because I don't know anything about it. Um, but it does seem like Jesus in Luke 12 is giving us an investment strategy he has just had this confrontation with the scribes and the Pharisees where he is teaching thousands of people things about the law, things about the ways in which the kingdom of God works in contrast to the ways in which the Pharisees and scribes are telling people to live. And last week we, we read that we are but a mist 
Luke and James together both helped us realize that our life is very short. There's this guy building up bigger barns and and the Lord said to him, you don't know when your life will be taken from you. You are here one day and gone tomorrow. And James says, your life is but a mist. And so invest in being present with people. The ways in which we should invest our time should be spent on the things that matter. And today we're picking up right where we left off. If you remember, Jesus said, do not worry about the accumulation of possessions. And I said, we come back to it this week because in today's text, Jesus expands on that reality, helps us to even more fully appreciate how we are to relieve ourselves of dependence on worldly possessions. So this morning, if you'll allow me, I would like to preach from the subject absurdity that relates absurdity that relates. We pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We thank you for your word. May it always lead us now and in all times. May the words of my mouth and meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And all God's people said? That was all right. All God's people said? See, I thought there was energy and then you responded. I was like, maybe there's not energy. There we go. I found it. There it is. All right. It goes without saying, I think, but I'm going to say it. There is a clear distinction between preachers and comedians, all right? I, I, I know that we sometimes try to be real funny. The, I'm not the only preacher you've ever heard, so I'm just talking blanket statement, not just about me. But, but oftentimes, we sometimes, um, or, or oftentimes, we'll try to be funny and it doesn't go well because either the sermon becomes all about the person, the preacher, and the attempts to get a quick laugh, or to everybody's disappointment, the preacher's not that funny. And um, I've heard that other preachers have that second problem. And so we, obviously, not all of our humor always lands. I am a fool. Brianna's not here this morning. She's at work. But she said that if I'm going to, you know, be honest as a preacher, there was a time, and I, I tried it here like a year and a half ago, and at every place I've been, I tried this one joke about Oprah and grace and how, like, you know, there's a scripture that says, like, everybody, you give, everybody gets grace, and it says grace on grace, you know? And I was like, it's just like Oprah, and you get some grace, and you get some grace, and no one has ever laughed, ever. And I was convinced it was you and not me. And Brianna's like, no. It's not. You've tried it five places and no one has ever laughed. But uh, although I know uh, it's important to realize for me, I'm called to be a preacher about the scripture and not a stand-up comedian. This is not my special on Comedy Central. My role is to talk about the Bible and the Holy Scriptures. I do think comedians and preachers are actually doing very similar work. And hear me out. The reason why sermons are better with a little bit of levity is because both preachers and comedians are working in the realm between normalcy and absurdity, all right? We're both living in this chasm of trying to expose realities that lie below the surface. I mean, let me explain. Comedians take things they're typically thought of as normal that we just take for granted and assume we should all do. And they show the absurdity in them, right? Like I heard this one comedian talk about, um, why do we eat, what's the, have your, this out starts. So what's the deal with blank, all right? So one comedian says, so what's the deal with shellfish? Why are we, y'all know that the insects of the ocean, right? 
Have you ever looked at a lobster and said, that thing looks kind of like a scorpion. I think I want to eat it as a delicacy. Lobster is just everybody's excuse for people to eat butter. And who was the first person to eat an oyster? They said, oh, look, there's some rock with a snot in it. Let's see how it tastes. All right, so taking something, we all eat shellfish. We're in the coast, we love seafood. But if you think about it, I mean, like, if you have to use a hammer, it's probably not something God wanted us to eat. I'm just saying. All right. So, or another example is I heard a comedian one time talk about like how absurd marriage is. Have you ever thought about this? Like what if marriage didn't exist and you tried to um, ask somebody to marry you? If I were to ask Brianna to marry me, she's never heard of this concept. Like, Hey, you know, we've been hanging out a lot lately. I'm like, yeah, I know. He's like, I want to do that until we're dead. <laughs> and she's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, you know, like, I don't want you to hang out with anybody else but me. And here, put this ring on so that people know we have an arrangement. And she's like, well, who's that guy? He's a priest. I want you to swear to God you're not going to back out of this deal. All right? I mean, like, the whole, why are there, what is being rolled in here? A cake with two dolls that look like us on top of it. Like, it just, it's kind of absurd if you think about it. And for me, my own personal one that I just think is absurd that you all think is normal, and this is not going to be a surprise if you know me, running. All right? Let's just talk about this. All of life humans have progressed to become more efficient, all right? We used to walk, and then we started riding horses. We rode horses, we got carriages, we got carriages, we got cars. And you people want to go backwards. And here's the thing. It would be different if there was a purpose, right? If you were like, all right, I'm, somebody's chasing me. But you want to end where you started. Just don't leave. Just stay there. And you don't have to come back if you never go. And there are better ways to lose weight. There's better ways to work out. Running is absurd, all right? All right, now that you know how I feel about running. I think the, uh, the, the comedians are showing us things that are normal is actually absurd. But the Bible is doing something similar. Have you ever noticed this? It just kind of does it from the opposite angle. It takes something that is absurd and says, actually, that should be normal right? So comedians, what is normal is absurd. The Bible says, actually, these things that are absurd, you should treat them as normal. Think about this. Jesus said you should love your enemies. Ooh, quiet. <laughs> Loving your enemies sounds absurd. And Jesus says that is the reality of the kingdom. Later, he says, pick up a torture instrument, an instrument of death. Do that willingly and carry it to follow me. Something that sounds absurd. Why would I carry around a cross, a crucifix, the thing that is the worst possible way to end your life? Choose willingly to engage in that behavior and make that my normal life. And get this. He one time said, if somebody hits you on the cheek, because I'm going to tell you, my, my normal is somebody hits me, I'm going to hit them back, right? That's just kind of how I, I just feel like we're supposed to, right? Jesus says, no. If somebody strikes you, do not hit them back and instead give them your other cheek. Now we can interpret these things, we can talk about them, we can go into in depth about what they all mean, but just think about the fact that, that Jesus in the Bible takes the absurdities of reality and says, actually, that should be your new normal. As we turn back to Luke 12, we live in this tension of normalcy and absurdity. And I think I have honed in on one of the most universal absurdities of human behavior that we think of as normal. 
This is something we can all relate to, I think. It's not unique in modern civilization. I think Jesus is talking about it right here. It's part of human behavior. I'm definitely not the first person to point this out. I mean, strategic marketers, money managers, your own mothers, we all know this tendency we all have. What's the deal with all of us obsessing over purchases that we think will bring us ultimate happiness? Have you ever thought about how absurd that is? That we get really fixated on having to buy something to be happy. And we might not all even admit that we do this. You might not think that I'm right, but, but I, would, I would entertain, I would ask you to entertain the thought. Have you ever done that? Are you doing that? Because I have yet to meet anyone who does not spend copious amounts of time thinking about and scheming up ways to purchase something that will then make them happier. I believe inside of us is this weird innate desire to be happy. Like we are all created to be happy. That's why the founding fathers said life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in the Declaration of Independence. And whereas happiness comes in various forms, it comes from our family, it comes from significant others, it comes from the Braves winning the World Series this year. I mean, there are so many ways in which we can be happy. We all tend to fixate. There's something that like compels us to search for the quickest way to be happy, and it's to buy something. And it doesn't, I don't think your socioeconomic status is affected by this. I think all of us have within us, if if I just get that thing, I will then be happy. As a child, it might be a toy. As an adult, it might be a house. One of my examples is when I first got into triathlon, and, and I know I don't look like much of a triathlete anymore, but I used to. And, and I got real excited about getting a new bike that would make me faster. And so I was like obsessing on Facebook Marketplace and I was searching on Craigslist and I was looking everywhere to find me the fastest bike that I could afford that would then make me happy because I'd be faster and I could win races and therefore I would be happy. And so I found a bike, I bought it, I met this guy. We ended up getting this really neat triathlon bike and I went and did a group ride that weekend and then I got home And you know what I did? I started looking for wheels. I got my one thing, I got happy, and now I need something else because I wasn't fully satisfied. Isn't that the way purchases go? We want one thing, we get it, get the temporary satisfaction, and then move on to the next. It's a vicious cycle, no pun intended. It keeps us (laughs) trapped in a place of feeling empty. And so if you're anything like me in this respect, if, if this is part of your normalcy, then today's scripture probably sounds absurd. If normal to you looks like making purchases to try to fill holes in your life or trying to get more things so that you can have more self-worth, then these words of Jesus are going to seem impossible to understand as anything other than complete absurdity. I mean, this text, as a continuation of last week, makes us realize accumulation of possessions is not the way of the kingdom. After his parable with the rich man, he tells all the people in the crowd, he says, do not worry about what you will eat or drink or wear. For life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. I mean, this just starts out sounding absurd to me. 
I spend so much time thinking about what I'm gonna wear. I changed my shirt like five times every morning and I ended up like wearing the same one that I picked first. And Brianna's like, they're all different shades of blue. What does it matter? And so we spend this time thinking about how others are gonna see us. And so we gotta buy nice clothes. So Jesus says, don't worry about these things. Literally, worrying does nothing for you. Can you gain more days in your life by worrying? In fact, now medically, we can say worrying actually is bad for you. When we worry about things that are trivial, it can actually cause physical harm. He says, do not set your heart on what you'll eat or drink, but seek first the kingdom of God. And when we seek the kingdom first, we will realize the realities of the things we actually need. He goes on to say, do not be afraid. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. And he makes an interesting play on word. He says, provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. By purses, he's not actually saying physical, tangible. He's saying invest in things, store up things, not of worldly possessions, but of kingdom orientation. Invest in things that will last. A treasure in heaven will never fail. There are no moths that can destroy it. Stop wasting your time on these things that are temporal and invest in the things that are eternal. Stop wasting your time on these things that are temporal and invest in the things that are eternal. He concludes by saying, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I don't think that there is any more true line in scripture than that one. And so what are we to make of all this? These convictions Jesus lays on our hearts. What is he getting at here? Are we not supposed to worry? So should I just not, you know, figure out what I'm going to wear each day? Just trust him to walk out the door and God's going to put clothes on me, you know? I don't think it's quite like that. I think that there are deeper realities. But the power contained within the orientation of our mind onto the kingdom is that which will transform the world. I believe Christ is trying to instill in his listeners not a step-by-step guide, but a more day-by-day mindset. How do we see the world? How do we see our lives? Where are we investing? Are we investing in the things that will not last? The cars, the boats, the houses, that which has become normal of just keeping up with our neighbors by buying the nicest things? Or are we investing in the things that will be forever? He says, obsessing over the temporary things will always be a futile effort. So what are these eternal things? If we're not to invest in possessions, what is, what is a kingdom-oriented thing? Where do we find lasting happiness? Christ gives us that example This is why I'm a pastor and illuminate the scripture and not my own opinion. A life lived in love for others is one that lasts forever. Christ gave us this example of how to live. The Bible is always teaching us about this otherworldly, other kingdom way of being. And so the opposite of temporary is eternal. And those things that are eternal are those things that remind us of who Christ is and who God calls us to be. Throughout Luke and throughout the Bible, we are being called to care for the vulnerable, 
to sacrifice of ourselves, to pick up a cross. It's absurd. The world says, gain all you can. Make all you can to take care of yourself. And the Bible says, actually, what you think is normal is absurd. You should actually give all you can. You should sacrifice. You should be selfless. That is the way of the kingdom. This world that we all live in that we think is normal about how can I get things? How can I be better, cooler based on what other people think of me? That is the absurdity. The new normal is the eternal world of the kingdom. This world that says, think not of yourself first. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. A pastor of mine once said, you can tell a lot about a person's heart based on where they spend their money and their time. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So as I wrap up this morning, please don't hear me saying that if you've been, if you bought something new lately, that you're a bad person. I've bought things that are new recently. Just in the past two years, we bought a house and you know, I'm not saying you're a bad person or that we are bad people for purchasing things. I'm saying... That's not my point. What we read here in the scripture is that if our heart is only striving for the things that are temporal and vain, we will always feel incomplete. The kingdom of God is one built on love. Love for God and love for others. God's desire is for us to let go of the world and instead adopt a mindset of selflessness and humility. To the world, this is absurd behavior. In our society, we are taught from a young age, it's all about you. But the kingdom says it's all about God. And so may we be a church that looks not after our own selves first, leans not on our own understanding but acknowledge God in all things and God will direct our paths. Lead lives full of love. Those are the things that will last forever. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.